Well, as we continue our kingdom series this morning, um, I want to just say a word about where the people of God are uh, when we pick up the story in Joshua chapter 3 uh, this morning. And I want to speak to some uh, of the realities that we face as the people of God today. Um, there are times in life where you run into and you face what seem to be insurmountable odds. Some of you have been there in a relationship or with a health issue, maybe with a financial issue. Some of you may be there this morning. But we face these times as God's people where it seems like something that um, we can't get past stands between us and where we sense God calling us to go. We face those times as individuals. And we face them as churches. And what we're going to see this morning in Joshua chapter 3 is that the people of God that God has set free, that he's delivered and redeemed from slavery in Exodus through Moses and other God-called leaders. They've been in the wilderness now for several decades. We saw last week that there was a group that simply could not trust God for the future he had in store for them. They couldn't see themselves as anything more than they had been in the past. And God gives them grace and he says, that's all right, I'm going to wait. And I'm going to take in my people and move my people forward who can see themselves as more than they've been in the past. And leadership for the people of God transitions from Moses to Joshua. And now we're going to pick up the story this morning, and the Israelites are on the very edge of the land of Canaan. This place they've so longed to be, as they've been a people without a home. And now they're on the very edge of it, but the Jordan River stands between them as this mighty barrier between where they've been and who they've been and where God's leading them and who he's calling them to be as a light to the nations. God's kingdom is always about its advancement and its enlargement. God is always pursuing those who are not yet convinced. And he's primarily pursuing them through your life and mine through the places you work and live and recreate. God uses you, your classrooms, your extracurricular activities. That's how God pursues men and women far from him. But there's this barrier of the Jordan River. And I would just ask you this morning to think through this lens as we look at Joshua 3. What is it in your life right now that feels insurmountable? What is it that, that feels like a barrier between where you are this morning and where you sense God's calling you to be? Who you sense God's calling you to be? Keep that in mind as we pick up the story here. And I want us, in a sense, to enter into the story of our ancestors, of the people of God who came before us, the covenant people of which we now our part. Let's pick it up in Joshua chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. Early in the morning, Joshua 
and all the Israelites set out, set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan, where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the ark. Do not go near it, or about 1,000 yards. All right, verses 1 through 4, they're, they're camped here on one side of the Jordan, in the promised land, the land that God has intended for them to have and to occupy, so that they might be a light to the nations. It's just on the other side of the river. But some of you have sensed what some of them feel. Have you ever been on a trip and it was time to go home, but, but it felt like the chasm between the day when you were about to leave to get home and you actually walking into your door seemed like forever. Anybody ever been there? Um, I have been where the, the turning in of the rental car and the getting through the airport, the flight... The getting picked up or, or finding my car, if I can even remember where I parked it. Am I the only one that's ever done that at an airport parking garage? I spent almost as long in the garage as I did on a flight before. Going, I'm pretty sure it was this garage. Um, it just seems like a long time. Some of you have been away from home for a long time. For work or in service to the country, whatever the case is. And you've sensed that longing to be there. Some of you... Some of you may come from an immigrant background and you have felt what it feels like to be a people without a home. And this is where they are. And yet they had this whisper, this truth of the covenant promises of God. That they are his people and he is their God. And he will see them through. They've got all of these expectations right in front of them. And they've been waiting and waiting and waiting. Anyone in here just flat and not enjoy waiting? It's not who we are as Americans, right? We, we know in, in the church world today, kind of the backside, that lines kill attendance. Lines kill attendance. You hear that over and over in leadership coaching in the church. If you can't figure out how to get people into an event, how to check people into a kid's area efficiently, lines kill attendance. We don't like to wait and I get it too I'm thinking if I can shazam a song on my phone that I just hear in a restaurant and somehow out of space I can buy it on my phone in 10 seconds it conditions me to not want to wait any longer for anything else but they'd been waiting they'd been waiting they'd been redeemed by the power of God through Moses they had experienced the power of God in the exodus they'd been given the opportunity to enter 40 years before but could only, as we saw last week, see themselves as grasshoppers in their own minds. They were unwilling, unwilling to exercise faith, to take a risk, to live, and to become a people who were comfortable with faith-centered, kingdom-centered risk. But now they're ready to go. Now they're ready to go. And I want you to pay attention to verse 3. Verse three says the officer. Well, verse two says officers are going to come through the camp and they're going to give orders. And this is what they said to the people: When you see 
the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priest carrying it, you're to move out from the positions and follow it. The idea here is that as the Ark moves forward and the God-called, God-commissioned priests of the people move forward, it's a symbol to the people that God's going ahead of them. That God is not just with them, He's moving out in front of them. And he's clearing the way for the future that God has in store for his people. It's meant to bolster their faith. The Ark of the Covenant, I know some of you probably know best from Indiana Jones and Raiders of the Lost Ark. Not completely historically factual, but a very good movie. What I think it does give you a sense of is what the people of God found out through the ark, God was always teaching both about his power and his righteousness as well as his goodness and his faithfulness and his grace. All of these things go together. But part of what they learned through the ark of the covenant that carried two copies of the tablets of the Ten Commandments. Um, and this is just an aside. There weren't two there like you see sometimes ignorantly um, in, in buildings in our nation where one through five are on one side and six through ten are on the other. But when a covenant was made, two copies of it were made, often like contracts are today. And the two copies in there symbolized God's copy and Israel's copy. But they learned not to trifle with the Ark of the Covenant. It was a way that God was teaching them about his power. It was a way that God was teaching them about reverence and obedience in light of his everlasting love and faithfulness so God's going to lead the way through this great obstacle that exists before them now let's look at verse 5 Joshua told the people consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you consecration precedes the amazing things that God does when, as his people, we decide to submit ourselves humbly before him and to place our hearts submissively before him and softly before him, when we confess our sins and say, God, wherever you lead us, our answer is yes, that prepares the way for God to do amazing things. God was gracious to his stiff-necked, rebellious, grumbling people. He was. But in the end, he let them all die without seeing the future that could have been theirs. And so Joshua tells them to consecrate themselves. We don't use this word very often today. That's why we talk a little bit or why I just spoke a little bit in ways that I hope can help us understand what it means to, to place our hearts softly before God and say whatever the question is, the answer is yes. Because like I don't say, children, wake up. Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow school shall start. You know, we, we don't do that. Sharon's never gotten up with me in the morning and said, Matt, consecrate yourself for tomorrow you shall start a new job. We just don't use that word today. But consecration has been and remains an active practice of the true people of God. There are seasons in which God calls us to this kind of intentional softness 
and listening and preparation before him so that he can do great things. Great things. Look at verses 6 and 7. Joshua said to the priests, Take up the Ark of the Covenant. Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel. So they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Let me talk just a minute briefly about spiritual leadership and spiritual authority. This is what God's dealing with in this section. I was talking to a friend yesterday who's uh, been in the ministry a lot of years, and we were commenting on like what, whatever uh, sense of desire or excitement you had about being on stage uh, when you were young and newly called to ministry tends to dissipate across the years uh, as God humbles you and disciplines you. And as the church shaves off uh, your rough areas and as you come to a fuller understanding of the weight of, of being called by God to do the task that he's called you to do. Look at verse 7 again. The Lord speaks to Joshua and he says, Joshua, I'm about to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel. Now what human being wouldn't go, yes, Lord, I think you're right on the right track. I've been saying this all along, that I should have been exalted among the people, right? So God comes and he says this to Joshua. And then we find these, these two transitional words, so they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. See, it's not about Joshua at all. It's about God. And the reality that God calls some human beings into uh, places of spiritual leadership and authority, uh, we see from Genesis all the way to Revelation. But it is always God's call for His glory and for the good of His people. It's never, ever about those he calls to do the work. It's about his glory. It's about the nature of the work. And it's about the good of his people and his kingdom work on earth. That's why I get, I get nervous when I see some of the self-exaltation that we find sometimes across our nation among some who will remain unnamed. Let's look at verse 8. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's water, go and stand in the river. Now, let me, let me say something about the Jordan River here. Um, we find out in a few verses, in verse 15, that at this time, the Jordan is at flood stage. And I know many of you grew up in the South, in Georgia and other states. Uh, many of you did not. But how many of you would say you grew up in a geographical area that had large, real rivers close? Anybody? Yeah. I, from Texas, did not. Uh, we have what's called the Brazos in Texas. And in some places it's deep, and in some places it's sort of like a creek. Right? The Jordan is much like that most of the year. It's fairly narrow in most parts. It's fairly shallow, typically three to six feet deep. But during flood stage, it becomes something very different. During flood stage, it overflows its natural barriers and boundaries. The Jordan is sourced by natural springs on Mount Hermon. 
Mount Hermon is the, the tallest peak in Israel. It's about 7,000 feet in elevation. And as the spring snows begin to melt and the water starts to flow down Mount Hermon into and becoming the Jordan River and continues to flow, it flows down 8,300 feet into the Dead Sea, which is roughly 1,250 feet below sea level. When you've got that much water flowing that far, it's big and it's fast. And what happens to the Jordan in flood season, as we're told in verse 15 of Joshua 3, that it's in, is that it overflows its bank into this geographical area called the Zor. And the Zor is just this, it's this lush green deep gorge that exists for sometimes 100, 200 yards outside of the Jordan on either side in most parts. And, and it fills up the Zor when it's at flood stage. And because the Zor has been carved out by rushing waters coming down from Mount Hermon, the, the drop off the Zor is perpendicular in almost all places. It's like stepping off the edge of a pool um, into the water. Very, very different than the, the gradual like child's interest where they make the fake beaches so you, so you can go in an eighth of an inch at a time. This is what the people are facing. This is the reality of what stands before them. Crossing a large, deep, fast-running river is very, very different than wading across a stream. It's, if you will, the kind of barrier that um, our troops faced. If you have any familiarity with uh, World War II history, or let's be honest, if you served then, right? But uh, if you didn't serve there, but you have an awareness of it, um, the Rhine River in Germany formed that kind of barrier. It, it was not insurmountable, but it was going to take some work to get across the Rhine or even to find a bridge intact. There were no bridges across the Jordan. So this is what they're, they're looking at. And remember, this is not a family or two that needs to get across. This is several hundred thousand people and the possessions that have been with them for decades now. And they're looking. They're looking at this river that seems impossible to cross. And, and it is this barrier. And it's so, they're so close. They're so close to being in the place and to becoming the people that they know God's called them to be. And yet, there's this barrier. There's this barrier. But God tells Joshua to tell the priests who carry the ark that when they reach the Jordan's waters, again in verse 8, go and stand in the river. Like, I'm as human as the next guy. Right? So I'd have been like, I think I carried the ark last time. Who's got it this time? I think Willie has it. You know, and Ebenezer, whoever, I would have volunteered other people out of a servant's heart. I don't want the glory from this, guys. Why don't you take it? You step off into the Jordan at flood time. Let's pick it back up in verse 9. Joshua said to the, to the Israelites, until this point God's been talking to the leadership and having leadership talk and the priests have been talking to one another. Now Joshua comes to the Israelites at large and says, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. Can I tell you, this is, the, this is at the heart of it, the practical center of spiritual leadership. It is, in a sense, nothing more and nothing less than saying 
to the people of God, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites. We've seen this phrase before. We've seen this phrase before. God's already promised to do this. Verse 11. C. The ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth, that phrase is intentional, will go into the Jordan ahead of you. That wording is very intentional. The ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth. There is no more controversial book in the Bible than the book of Joshua. There are a lot of questions that thinking people have about saying God is good. The Jesus we see revealed in the New Testament is the epitome of God the Father. And then you read Joshua. And you read the way that God led his people into the land. And what he asked them to do when it came to conquering and cleansing cities. But part, friends, part of the key to unlocking what seems like a mystery but is not is this phrase in verse 11. The Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth. The writer of Joshua is wanting to let us know this is not just Israel's God. All the world belongs to God. The people groups we listed belong to God. Not in the same way that the covenant people of God do. But they're his creation nonetheless. And it's hard for us in a society that has certainly not gotten human rights uh, correct for a long time, but has been moving more and more and more in that direction. And a society that speaks a lot about human rights, it's very hard for us to get to the point where we realize we have no rights before God. But can I tell you, that was such a liberating thing for me, by God's grace to be led to that point in my journey. And I can remember around 09, 2010, when it really dawned on me and kind of washed over me by God's grace that I have no rights before God. There's no such thing before the Creator as human rights. There's, I have no ability to come before Him and demand anything. He doesn't owe me anything. But I'll tell you, there's a freedom to being able to say that. There's a freedom to knowing that God is powerful, and He is good, and He does love me. And yet, I have no rights before Him. He doesn't owe me anything. The writer of Joshua is wanting to help us understand that what's about to happen is underneath God's sovereign control, and if He is good and just, and all that He does is good and just, in ways that we don't understand, what's about to happen, the violence that's going to happen, in this time in human history, through the military conquest of the people of God, with God going before them, is in ways that doesn't make sense to us, good and just as well. It's part of God's kingdom work in that day. And we get hints of that when we see Abraham saying, hey, your people are going to come into the land, but not yet, because the sin of the people in the land hasn't yet reached its full measure. And there's a warning there about any society or culture how we can drift deeper and deeper and deeper into sin until the sin of a culture does reach its full measure. Does reach its full measure. Now look at verse 12. Now then, choose 12 men 
from the from the tribes from the tribes of Israel one from each tribe and as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord the Lord of all the earth set foot in the Jordan its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap this seems strange to us on this side of the Enlightenment, where we sort of tossed out the ideas, uh, or the idea of the miraculous. This is not about magic. This is about miracles. This is about what God can do with his creation at any time, if it pleases him. But can I just say this? This idea that someone at God's command could step into a widely um, embodied river, fast-flowing with the melting snows of a highly elevated mountain and that water will simply stop flowing can I just say that if the resurrection is possible all things are possible if the resurrection of Jesus Christ is true this is small ball here everything in our faith hinges on the validity the historicity of the resurrection if Jesus can be crucified on Friday and Sunday walk out of the grave conquering sin, death, and all of its effects, standing water up for a while is nothing. It's nothing. This is the God we serve. Verse 14. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. I just want you to notice as we start here that, that you've got this picture of everybody moving forward in obedience together doing what they had been asked and called by God to do, right? The priests are going ahead. They've got the Ark of the Covenant. The people of Israel have broken camp, and they're following their leaders as they symbolically move ahead, and God is with them symbolically through the Ark of the Covenant. Verse 15, now the Jordan is at flood stage during harvest. Yet, as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge. The water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan. While the water flowing down to the Sea of Araba, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off so that the people crossed over opposite Jericho we serve a God who when he wants to and his people will cooperate with him can stand up the river at his command and stop the waters flowing he can break down any barrier in your life in my life in our life as a church that stands between us and what he's calling us to be and where he's calling us to go but let me ask you a question what happened first here the stepping or the stopping of the water. The stepping. The stepping. The people of God in obedience with faith-centered and kingdom-centered risk had to step into the Jordan before God would move. They had to step first. They had to walk ahead in obedience 
believing that what God said He will do, He will do. Faith and obedience brings the kingdom of heaven to earth. It ushers in and makes way for the power and the movement of God. They had to step first. Let's read it again, middle of verse 15. Yet, yet in spite of the fact that it's at flood stage and could drown all of them in an instant, as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge. I like that language too. They didn't have to get out, flail in the middle of the rushing river and nearly drown for God to move. They just had to demonstrate faith. They had to believe God for what God said. They had to stop being people scared of everything and start being people who would move forward as God called them. Verse 17. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground. Familiar language, right? This is language from the Exodus. Last week, the writer of Joshua wants us to remember that the God who's at work here is the same God who was work, at work at the Exodus. It's the covenant God who's the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's their God. It's our God. Moving along through the seasons of redemptive history right up until this place at this time as that movement continues. And God continues to bring about His kingdom on earth. Exodus 14, 29, we saw that when the people of God crossed the Red Sea, God caused the water to stop to stand up on either side and they crossed on dry ground. This is also a, a little bit of a reminder that our God is faithful. That he had promised them a land. And all of their grumbling and all of their lack of faith as a people could not stop what God had promised from happening. It's this beautiful bookend that I promised you a place. I delivered you. And now I'm bringing you into this land. I'm bringing you into the land I promised you. Last part of verse 17. The priests stopped in the middle. They stood on dry ground while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. God's grace saw his people through. The tragic thing is so many of them weren't there to see it. So many of them weren't there to experience it. They couldn't trust God for it. But Joshua and Caleb were. Joshua and Caleb were of that generation that God let die off. But they said after coming back from spying out the land, we can do this. We, our God will do this work. He will go before us. And God in His grace and His goodness and His faithfulness said, I'm going to let you guys wonder and pass off, and then I'll take those in who can believe me for this. But Joshua and Caleb, they're going with us. They believed. They trusted. Let me ask you 
this morning. Well, let me just make a statement first. We, we are called to follow God. Jesus' invitation into him and salvation throughout the Gospels is always follow me. It's never repeat after me. It's follow me. I'm going somewhere. I'm doing my Father's work. He's still, even now, at the right hand of God the Father, doing His work and applying the completed, redemptive power of God that was achieved on the cross to God's world today. This is kingdom life. We are called to be faith-centered, kingdom-centered risk-takers. The people of God are never called to play it safe. You'll never find that in the Old Testament or the New Testament. You'll never find where God did great things in church history among a portion of his people that circled the wagons and played it safe. That's not what we're called to be. Let me just ask you, what's your, what's your fear this morning, your personal fear? What fear are you facing that is overshadowing your faith in your life? What fear is keeping you from stepping out on the water, into the water as God calls? My prayer, as Tori comes and, and leads us just in a time of, of response and reflection, is that you'll be thoughtful about that question. What am I afraid of, God? And that you'll voice that to God and submit it to God and release it to God and say, when you say go, I will go. When you say follow, I will follow. Where you lead, I'm going to move with you. And I'll just say, if you want to come to the front and pray, feel free to do that. There's freedom in this place. Some of you need to do that. You need to come up here and just bow in humility before God and say, God, I release this to you. I release this to you. Let's stand and pray. God, you are not just the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Not just the delivering God of Moses. Well, they're empowering God of Joshua. You are our God. You are our King. We belong to you. In Christ, we have nothing to fear. In Christ, we've been given perfect love that when received, drives out fear. God, may we be a people who moves forward in faith not sits in fear. God, that's my plea and my prayer this morning. In Jesus' powerful name, amen.